Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. When I was growing up in the land of beer and cheese, my family and I lived in a spacious, two-story white house perched up on a hill. You guessed it. I'm talking about Wisconsin. I was raised in a Christian household, attended a Christian school, and went to church every Sunday. So to me, ghosts, aliens, paranormal activity, and anything else in relation were simply fantasies conjured up to merely cause unnecessary anxiety for thrills and chills. Obviously, my young thought process was painfully ignorant. I cannot quite recall my exact age at the time, but I believe I was around 12 years old. The layout of our house was open concept. The stairs leading up to the second floor were somewhat like a zigzag. You walked up the first flight, turned right onto a landing, and then climbed the second flight to reach the upper level. From there, the balcony overlooked the living area and led to the bedrooms and bathrooms. My room was down the hall, essentially in full view from the top of the stairs. It was always, and still is, a normal nightly routine for me to wake up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. I am fully convinced that I have an anatomically small bladder, so... Waking up with a full bladder wasn't anything out of the ordinary. One night I woke up and begrudgingly rolled out of bed. Something was different that night. I noticed feeling a deep sense of dread. I had immediate full body chills and heightened anxiety. On the first landing, there was a large window that often allowed the moonlight to grace the threshold of the stairs, illuminating the entire upper level of the house at night. The moon must have really been full that night or perhaps the sky was uncharacteristically clear because I could easily make out the contents of my room since it was so bright. I noted this but ultimately shrugged it off, opened my door, and went to the bathroom to relieve my ever-pestering bladder. As I opened the door, I looked up towards the edge of the stairs and there on the threshold was a black shrouded figure that resembled the Grim Reaper. I couldn't see its face. I just saw a hooded cloak that draped to the floor. The figure seemed to emanate a haze that was flickering off its form. I thought that I was imagining it, but it was so present and so dark. It was obscuring the window that ordinarily illuminated the house. I could even see the moonlight framing its black figure. I was frozen in fear. It didn't move except for its fog. It didn't speak either. Finally, remembering my Christian upbringing, I managed to stutter, 
You are not welcome here. I am a child of God. I attempted to be brave and stand in my proclamation. Then I turned the corner to my left and walked into the bathroom. Why I turned my back to this thing, I don't know. For all I know, it could have run up behind me, taken my soul, who knows what. When I was done in the bathroom, I mustered up every ounce of bravery left in my body and turned towards the stairs. The figure was gone and never returned, but the memory will never fade. I'm now 27, and I remember it as if it were yesterday. Skip forward a few years later, and it was finally the day of the Scholastic Book Fair. Remember those? It was always a day of excitement, curiosity, and the enticing smell of a new book. You know the smell, so don't act like you don't. I was 14 and decided that I would purchase a book categorized as mystery, expecting to be titillated with suspense. I can't recall the exact name of the book. I tried to look it up, but to no avail. All I can remember was it ended up being a ghost story about a haunted doll and a lake. Despite my gut screaming at me not to read the book, I read it anyway. The tale created intense suspense with each page. When I finished reading it, I placed the book on the bottom shelf of my bookshelf towards the middle. At this time, my dad used to sometimes sleep in the guest room where I kept my books due to his job. He was frequently called in during the middle of the night and didn't want to wake my mom. One morning, he mentioned how cold it was in the guest room despite the heat being on. It was winter in Wisconsin, and if you don't know, it gets cold as an arctic asshole up there. The next day, he mentioned it again. He mentioned how cold it was and said that something odd had occurred. My dad had woken up to our yellow lab Lucy standing on the lounge chair. Lucy's hair raised down the length of her spine, and she was barking at the corner of the ceiling. The next day, I had a day off from school and was determined to figure out what was going on in that room. I sat outside of the guest room and felt warm and comfortable. Then I walked into the guest room, and it was as if I had willingly leapt into that arctic asshole again. No, the windows were not open, and yes, the heat was on. I immediately said, No thank you, and walked out. I sat at the entrance, and my gaze was drawn to that damn book. No way, I thought. I sat there pondering my ludicrous idea of that book being haunted or having something malicious attached to it. I ended up going downstairs and grabbed some plastic bags. I'm not sure why I thought a plastic bag would protect me from a living demon in that book. It was just what I had. I proceeded to wrap the book in several plastic bags, double-knotting the handles. Again, I have no clue why I thought... A double knot would protect me, but this seemed logical at the time. I launched the parcel into the end of the driveway and went about my day. When I went back into the guest room later in the afternoon, it was warm as a summer's day, and nothing else ever happened. So to the grim reaper and the demon attached to a book, let's not meet ever again.
Back in the late spring, early summer of 2012, I met my first boyfriend via Craigslist, back when they had their dating section. For the sake of this story, we'll call him Ryan. I had made an ad describing what I'm looking for in a friend, and if anyone would be interested in hanging out that summer, to hit me up. I got a few replies back, but the one that stuck out to me the most was Ryan's. After emailing back and forth for a few days, we swapped numbers to text. We texted for a few more days and decided to hang out. We agreed that Ryan would pick me up from my dorm and we could go see a movie that had recently come out and play it by ear from there. After the movie, we went to a park in the area and walked around its entirety twice. While walking, we talked about things we've experienced in life thus far. Ryan told me that after high school, he joined the Marines, and right before leaving for basic training, he got married to his high school sweetheart. Ryan had done two tours in Iraq, and during his last tour, his wife cheated on him and moved the new guy into the house they shared. Ryan stated that this sent him spiraling, and ultimately, the Marines discharged him due to him losing his shit. After leaving the Marines, he found himself homeless and turned to drugs to cope until his mom and stepdad allowed him to stay in their basement. When I met Ryan, he was staying with friends in town in their attic and worked at a fast food chain because that was the only place he could work that wouldn't mess with his PTSD, which he acquired while overseas. Even though Ryan had been through a lot, he was overall a decent guy that was dealt a shitty hand. While dating throughout the summer, he stopped doing drugs, at least the hard kind, and I even started working with him at the fast food chain so we could see each other more. That summer was a roller coaster, with lots of highs and lows due to his mental state. Because I didn't know the signs of what a healthy relationship looked like, or the red flags of an unhealthy one, I thought that if I stuck by him, everything would work out in the end. Ryan and I dated on and off for one and a half years. I ended up dropping out of college after I completed my spring semester in 2013, and we moved in together almost two hours away from my family. My family in turn cut me off financially and took away my car. Ryan said that no matter what, he would take care of me. That my family cutting me off fueled him more to prove them wrong about him. I'm not saying that my family didn't like him per se. They just didn't like the fact that I wasted their money dropping out of school. Plus, they're somewhat religious and don't condone couples living together outside of marriage. Looking back, I wish I would have listened to their concerns a bit more, but it's hard to tell someone what to do when their mind is made up. Ryan and I lived together for about five months. In those five months, he changed completely and was even becoming verbally and mentally abusive. The straw that broke the camel's back was on December 12th, 2013, the day I decided to leave. That week, 
the area we were living in, was preparing for a big ice storm. However, both the places we worked, same fast food chain but different locations, decided to stay open, and we were both due in at the same time. By this point, we were basically over. We had gotten into a fight 12 hours before, where he punched a door and told me I should have been grateful that it wasn't my face. As he was dropping me off at work, I was getting out of the car, one foot outside and the other still in the car, and he decided to start pulling off. I bitched at him and he bitched back, telling me horrendous things in the process of me walking away from the car. My heart was broken and I couldn't believe this was happening. This wasn't the same man I fell in love with. At work, I had made a few friends and confided in them about what was happening as I cried. One co-worker, a nice elderly lady, told me to call my family on my break and see if they'd pick me up and take me home. I was so scared to do so, but I was even more afraid to stay one more day in that apartment that I shared with Brian. So I pushed my pride aside and called my grandma. I didn't have to say much. She knew by the sound of my voice that things were not okay. She said that she and my uncle would come and get me a few hours after I got off, so I would have time to pack. She said she loved me and that it was okay to come home. After my break, I spoke with the assistant manager and she allowed me to leave early. I told her the conversation I had with my grandma and she gave me a hug and told me to do whatever was safe for me. Since I didn't have a car, I hitched a ride with a coworker that was out the door to leave early. Once I got back to the apartment, I started packing as much of my shit as I could. A few hours later, my grandma and two of my uncles came and fit as much as they could in my grandma's suburban, and we were on our way. Ten minutes into the trip, I got a text from Ryan demanding me to tell him where I was and why I wasn't at home. I told him I was leaving him, that our relationship was over. Ryan was so pissed, he started cussing at me, telling me he would find me and bring me back with him. I knew he wouldn't, but then again he might have. Sometimes it was hard to tell when he was bullshitting. Thankfully, he never did. Ryan and I stopped talking shortly after that. I found out through mutual friends that during the five months we were living together, he was cheating on me and married the girl he cheated on me with. I was hurt, however, at the same time, I didn't have enough heart to truly care. Then it happened. On the night of May 4th, 2014, I went to sleep decently early because I had to be at work at 8am the next day, and after work, I had a date that I was excited for. I told myself, finally we're moving on. As I was asleep, I had a very vivid dream. I was in this apartment I had never seen or been in, not sure where the apartment was even located. I woke up in a bed that never belonged to me. 
I got up and heard someone in the kitchen. I walked out of the room and into the kitchen, and I saw him, Ryan, cooking food. He turned around and said, Great, you're finally up. I was so confused because, why am I dreaming about him? I'm not sure about the literal conversation we had, but I think my body knew my alarm would be going off soon. Ryan hugged me in the dream. He gave me the biggest bear hug and told me he was sorry for everything and that he hoped in time I would forgive him. I was so confused and just said, Okay. He went on to tell me that it was so nice to see me again and he wished me well and said that when I woke up, life would be a bit different for me. He said that he couldn't tell me why, but that he always loved me, and he'd always be here if I needed him. Then I woke up. I popped up so fast, like I was jolted back into reality. I even remember telling myself that was an odd dream, but shrugged it off and got ready for work. Once at work, I was in such a great mood. I was so ready for the date later that day. Then, right before my break, I noticed I had a bunch of missed texts and calls from people. I asked if I could take my break early and headed to the car. As I'm looking through my texts, a mutual friend of mine and Ryan's asked if I had heard. I texted her back. Heard what? She called and told me that Ryan had died earlier that day at around 1 a.m. I was in complete shock. I didn't believe her initially and told her she was a bitch for joking like that, but it wasn't a joke. Supposedly, there was a shell lodged in the chamber that he wasn't aware of, and as he was cleaning it, the gun went off and shot him in the head. Now, I'm not a gun expert by any means, but that would be very hard to do because of how long the barrel is. After I got off the phone with the mutual friend, I called Ryan's mom. She answered hysterically crying. She confirmed it for me. Same story. Ryan was gone. Once I got off the phone with her, I went back into work and told my boss what transpired and told him I was leaving for the rest of the day and wasn't sure when I would come back to work. My boss and I are friends and he knew Ryan, so he allowed me to leave. As I was driving home, I kept thinking about the weird dream I had that night. That was Ryan's goodbye to me, which means he was already dead when he appeared. This messed with my brain even more because I based on my grandpa's passing in 2009, was told that I have a gift of connecting with certain people that passed on. However, prior to Ryan, my grandpa was the only person that was close to me that had died and, yes, he visited me quite regularly back then, but nothing like this ever occurred. I ended up rescheduling my date. The person I was supposed to go out with We'll call him D, also knew Ryan, but didn't like him. However, he was sad for me and ended up becoming a great friend in the long run. When I got home, 
I told my grandma what happened and spent the majority of the day and night in my room, crying and listening to music. As the night came, I started feeling a weird presence in my room. Deep down, I knew it was Ryan, but my gift wasn't seeing spirits, so I was scared and confused. I ended up falling asleep. For what felt about five minutes into it, I felt someone lean over me and kiss me on the lips. I jolted up instantly and freaked the hell out. I came running out of my room, looking for my grandma, asking if she had come into my room. She said no with a puzzling look on her face. The next few days were a whirlwind of very little sleep. I ended up having to talk out loud, asking Ryan to stop freaking me out and if he wanted to make contact, to do so in my dreams, which he obliged. It'll be nine years this year since his death, and sometimes out of the blue, I'll wake up in that apartment, him cooking me food and asking me about my life. I know he still watches me. He's usually caught up on what I'm up to. Through the years, Pictures of my children are added to the decorum of the apartment to make me feel a little bit more at home during my visits. D, my friend who I was supposed to go on a date with, died in a car accident in 2015. He and my grandpa visit me in my dreams as well. All four of us will talk about their lives when they were on earth and how my life is currently going. It's a nice reunion. Over the years, I learned about the apartment and the fact that I cannot leave, but the three of them can come and go as they please. I did come close to leaving once, in 2016. I learned after it was because I myself was dying. I was in the midst of having an emergency C-section, which took a turn for the worse, while having my daughter and I was in limbo. In the apartment, my hand was on the doorknob to walk out. I'm not sure what stopped me. My grandpa, Ryan, and Dee didn't sway me one way or another. They said the choice was mine. I think the main reason I didn't leave the apartment is because back on Earth, I would be leaving a one-year-old little boy and a newborn girl without a mother, and I didn't want that for them. It's been about a year since the last time I was in the apartment. I haven't seen Dee or my grandpa in a few years, so I assume their spirits have moved on. The only one that's still there is Ryan. I honestly believe he can't move on because his death is still viewed as suspicious by his family and friends. We believe that his wife's family covered it up. The town they were living in was mostly run by her relatives. Not even two weeks after he died, she moved her new boyfriend into the place they shared. The new boyfriend was wearing Ryan's old clothes, clothes I bought Ryan, driving Ryan's car, and essentially living the life Ryan should have been living. Even though Ryan and I physically on this planet ended on bad terms, I still feel bad for him. 
I've told him many times that it's okay to move on, but he won't. I think I may have pissed him off during our last encounter, which is why I haven't been back to the apartment. Ryan, if you can hear this, you are loved by so many, and we will never forget you. If, for whatever reason, I stop coming to the apartment, just know I always want the best for you, and it's okay to move on, and to allow your spirit to rest and find happiness. I grew up in a small town outside of Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. The town was comprised of a post office, bank, burnt-down restaurant, convenience store, and a few churches. There was also a closet-sized headquarters for the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. At the time, this town had a population of around 2,000. 600 of them were students at the local high school. The rest of the population were either farmers, government employees, or retired war veterans. Everyone knew everyone, which made it hard to get away with anything. It also made it a very safe place to grow up. My friend, who we'll call Callie and I, were inseparable since our introverted selves united on the playground in the first grade. When we first met, she was a short, skinny kid with block bangs, circular glasses, and buck teeth. I was a mirror image of her, but slightly stockier with a gap between my two front teeth. Callie lived just down the street and across a main road from me and my family. This made it super easy to walk there myself for sleepovers. From the age of nine, we would be free to roam the countryside roads on our bikes and skateboards. All the roads had street lamps, and once those bad boys flickered on, That was our cue to return home. Once we reached high school, grew out of our bangs, and swapped the overbites for braces, we were like any other teenager growing up surrounded by cornfields. We would drink and indulge in giggle grass. She had a few older friends who hooked us up with the finest bottom-shelf bottles from the general store. There was one catch, though. We couldn't openly drink or seem intoxicated around my family, otherwise we would never be allowed out of the house again. Callie and I packed a backpack equipped with the necessary tools to disguise our intoxication and prepared for an excursion to the local playground. It was winter and roughly negative 20 degrees Celsius, that's negative 4 Fahrenheit. At 11 at night, We crept up my basement stairs and slipped out my front door undetected by my burly guard dog. I locked the door and let out a cloud of breath as I sighed with relief. Let the fun begin, I said, smirking at Callie through the corner of my hood. We waddled our way down the icy driveway and made pace towards the playground. It was about a 5k walk, but with the jet fuel we shared, we felt the frost less with each passing sip. As we made our way down the old streets, we passed and admired the 100-year-old brick houses and barren willow trees. We were accompanied by only the sound of frost crunching under our boots. The streetlights were only located at each corner, 
which made the long stretches of darkness more thrilling to walk through. We kept our heads down to shield ourselves from the breeze, and we continued chatting, sipping, and shuffling. Suddenly, I became overwhelmed with a dreadful feeling. I felt cold at this moment. I felt like I was hit by a wall. All of the blood rushed to my limbs quickly. Callie and I fell silent and stopped dead in our tracks. She must have felt exactly what I was feeling. No sounds to be heard but the buzzing of the golden flickery street light. We peeked around our hoods at each other and then looked up in front of us. A man stood at the end of the desolate still road under the upcoming street light. He looked to be at least eight feet tall, lean, with hands behind his back. He wore a long trench coat, with the bottom split into two triangular strips which swayed in the breeze. As my eyes focused on what stood in front of us, I saw that he wore a top hat, an almost comically tall top hat. Callie clutched my arm and said with a foggy whisper, What is that? I said, You see it too? She quivered. Ava, let's go, let's run. Just as we started to make our way back home, the top-hatted man removed one hand from behind his back to hold his hat to us. His second hand revealed a long, thin cane. He tossed the cane in front of him and began to run. He ran almost in slow motion, taking long bounds with each step. Callie and I sprinted back to my house as fast as our legs could go. Suddenly, every dog in the neighborhood was awake. Each time we looked behind us, the man in the top hat was nowhere to be seen. We barreled into the house and quickly snapped the lock shut behind us. My guard dog was now awake along with my mom, who came out to greet us. We explained what happened between breaths and we were met with sympathy. We haven't seen the man in the top hat since. But let's never meet. I've been hooked on this podcast for quite a while now, and one particular story titled The Seer struck a chord with me. It reminded me of two uncanny experiences I've had myself. The first incident took place back in 2010. For days on end, a random word kept popping into my head. Onofre. I couldn't shake it off, wondering if I had come across it somewhere or heard it before. It seemed to appear out of the blue, playing on repeat in my mind. Now, let me set the scene for you. I was on a public bus in the Philippines, where they typically have televisions showing movies or local news channels. My sister and I were on our way somewhere, and although I wasn't paying much attention to the news playing on the bus, a familiar word reached my ears. It was the name of a person, and as I strained to recall the details, I distinctly remember it was the last name of a murdered teacher mentioned in the news, Onofre. It hit me like a bolt of lightning, 
My entire body tingled, and tears welled up in my eyes. I was bewildered because I didn't know this person, yet the coincidence was mind-boggling. Even now, reminiscing about it gives me goosebumps. The second extraordinary occurrence unfolded in 2014. I had a dream where I found myself riding a specific train here in the Philippines. Let me tell you, I'm quite the lucid dreamer, so my dreams often play out in vivid detail. In this particular dream, as the train headed towards the next station, disaster struck, and the train derailed, resulting in a significant loss of life. Fast forward a few days, and my dad and stepmom were watching the local news in the living room. I descended from my room, parched and in need of water, as I reached the television. There it was, the breaking news. A train had indeed derailed at the MRT Taft station. Once again, a chill ran down my spine. I've never really discussed these events with my family, but being the daughter of a pastor, I've wondered whether this could be some sort of gift. However, I find myself torn between considering it a gift or a curse. After all, these visions seem to be beyond my control. So what do you think? Are they simply intriguing glimpses into the unknown, or is there something more profound at play? This story is something out of a horror movie. I'm from Kansas, so there's a lot of skepticism from my friends about this story. My family and I lived decently close to Atchison. For most of you ghoulies out there, this is a known hotspot for paranormal happenings and unexplained events. I lived in this house in the historical district with my family. It was my childhood home for many years. My brothers and I, five kids total, had endless adventures, and we would allow our imaginations to run wild. As a child, I was never able to shake the feeling that someone or something was watching us. My mother owned and operated a daycare, so having that feeling of being watched seemed natural. Little kids were running everywhere without a care in the world, but we were being supervised. It would be different at times, though. We felt a presence of some sort following us up the stairs. We would also feel a presence in the dining room and the bathroom. We were always afraid of that dining room at night. None of us would even walk past it for fear of something lurking in the shadows. As we grew up, that feeling only became stronger. When I was in my teens, my parents split. This meant no more home daycare, no more watchful eyes, just family. My dad kept the childhood home while my mother bought another house a few blocks away. It was big enough that no one had to share a room. Whenever my siblings and I would visit my father, he always seemed tired. I always figured it was due to him working late nights at his job, but boy was I wrong. 
I was getting ready for work one day, listening to music with one earphone in. The only other person in the house was my brother, who we'll call David. While jamming in my room at my father's house, I heard the doorknob creak as if it were being turned. I sharply looked back at the door, and the sound stopped. I thought, maybe I heard somebody opening the bathroom door, which was very close to my room, so I turned around. But then, my doorknob creaked. As soon as I had my back to the door, I heard it. This time, the door fully opened. I called out to my brother, David, where are you? He replied, I'm in the living room, why? I froze in terror, as the living room was on the same floor, but not even close to my door. I yelled out, no reason, just curious. At that moment, I put my headphones away and walked briskly to the living room. I didn't say a word about this to David and just left for work. A couple of years later, I moved in with my father since my mother and I really weren't getting along. Soon after moving back into my childhood home full-time, all of those uneasy feelings I felt from living there before rushed back. My brother, we'll call him Brooks, actually has a photo of a silhouette standing in the dark kitchen, staring at us. I saw shadows scurrying when I looked at them. At one point, I had my back turned to the kitchen. I was grabbing a steak knife from the hutch in the dining room when suddenly a baseball flew past my head and smacked the wall. I was home alone, so needless to say, I was scared shitless. I mustered up all of my strength and said, You're not welcome here. You need to leave. Don't come back. After uttering those words, I felt unsafe again. But I knew my father was going to be home soon and I would be okay. From that day on, I refused to be home alone since I was fearful that this thing would take its anger out on me. I had a suspicion about where this thing would retreat to when backed into a corner. There was an additional room in the house my siblings and I used called the dungeon. I don't remember how we came up with the name, it just kind of stuck. This part of the house was always cold, even during the winter when the heater was blazing in the house. Moving back there was a challenge since I knew damn well my sleeping arrangements were located right next to that dungeon's door. I fully believed that whatever was in that house was feeding off of my anger and fear. I moved out of that house soon after. To whoever or whatever was in that house, let's not meet again. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. Don't shoot the messenger, but unfortunately, Andy is feeling a little under the weather so we'll have to forego our usual end-of-episode banter. It's nothing life-threatening, no worries. He'll be back next week. In the last episode, you got nearly an hour of us chatting, so I hope that makes up for this week. Speaking of, we received a lot of feedback about that episode. Opinions seem to be split. A few of you encouraged us to do full conversational episodes more often, and one person was kind enough to send us an email with, constructive feedback that merely said, this episode sucked. So I guess we'll just have to brainstorm a happy compromise moving forward. Love it or hate it, we really do appreciate you for listening. With all that being said, this week you have heard My Two Demons by Ricky, The Apartment 
by True Love Knows No Bounds. The Man in the Top Hat by Ava. Intriguing Intuition by Nacho and Cheese. And finally, The House That Never Slept by Hannah. All of the stories you've heard were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. You can support the show for just five bucks a month and get access to ad-free episodes with even higher quality audio by heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash oddtrails. Don't forget to check out Andy's other podcasts, Let's Not Meet, A True Horror Podcast, Welcome to Paradise, It Sucks, and The Old Time Radiocast, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll both be seeing you next week. Stay safe and peace out.